Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning, church. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 21 this morning. Acts chapter 21. My name is Tim Rimmer. I'm the senior pastor at Calvary. Glad you're with us this morning. Who is ready for 2024? Like three people. Awesome. Some of us are still trying to recover from Christmas, aren't we? We're still in chill mode from uh, all the havoc of getting prepared for Christmas. Well, Acts chapter 21, If uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 today with a message entitled, How Ready Are You? Stand with me once we're there and we will read our text. We're only going to look at a couple verses to start with, and then we will go line by line beginning in verse 1. But, but I want to draw your attention first to verse 12, where Paul, where it says here, Luke writing, when, when we heard this, we and the people then urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, here we are preparing for what lies ahead. And Lord, our heart. Uh, ought to be, Lord, your will be done. And so we, we ask you, Lord, to speak to us this morning in that manner, God, that we would be surrendered to your will, that we would be prepared for the things that lie ahead. And so we know in, in this text contains some encouragement for us, some exhortation, Lord, even some correction. So we ask you, Lord, to have your way. Father, we sit humbly before you and pray that you would change and transform us. So come now by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the blood of your son Jesus, and speak to us, we pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. So I don't think there's a more appropriate theme for us to end 2023 with than the, pre, than the theme that we are presented with in Acts chapter 21, which is the theme of readiness. We read in our text that Paul was ready. He's ready to turn the page on his third missionary journey to a, a new ministry opportunity that the Lord has for him. It happens to be a two-year prison ministry. You'll see that in a couple weeks when we get there. But he's ready for it. And here we are, getting ready to turn the page on a new year, which holds many ministry opportunities for you and I as well. Like Paul, we don't know exactly uh, what lies ahead for us, but we can rest assured that the opportunities that God has, us, has for us this coming year will require us to walk by faith. They will require us to walk by faith. God is in the business of stretching his children. Anybody found that to be true? God likes to stretch us to help us understand how much we can trust the Lord. You can trust him with your life. If you can trust him with your life, you can trust him with anything, can't you? He is going to stretch us in order uh, for us to experience those opportunities. And I'll tell you what, if you play it safe in 2024, you'll miss them. If you play it safe 
If you stay in your comfort zone and you're not willing to be stretched, you'll miss the opportunities that God has for you. I want to refresh our memory this morning relating to what Jesus said uh, is required in order to follow him. Uh, it's, it's a text that you're probably familiar with if you've been walking with the Lord for any time. You know that when he called us to follow him, there was two specific things that we have to do in order to do that. It's contained in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. So if you're a Christian, this is the Christian mandate to follow Christ. Here's what he said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus tells us here the requirements to follow him. It's twofold. The first thing that he leads us to is this idea of denying self. The idea is to disown and denounce self in totality. In other words, we're to let our self-driven goals and dreams go to pursue the will of the Lord. I like the way that Warren Wearsby explains denying self. He said, denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial when, for a good purpose, we occasionally give up things or activities, but we deny ourselves when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself to surrender to him. Not only that, but he goes on to tell us step two is we must be willing to take up our cross and follow him. This speaks of sacrifice. It involves humility and surrender. The cross is, uh, in biblical days, was for the vilest of criminals. The Persians invented crucifixion. The Romans uh, perfected it. It was a horrible way to die. The, the pain and the anguish of it were unbearable. And I tell you that there is some pain involved in following Jesus. But don't worry, he's not asking you to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. Jesus walked in humility in surrender to the Father's will. And it tells us that he endured the cross, despising the shame. And as a result of that, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Likewise, we too must be willing to take up our cross daily, living sacrificial for Christ in humility and surrender to the will of God at all costs, even death, if that's where his will would lead us then we too will be exalted just like Jesus was. I love the, what Spurgeon said about this. He said that there will be no crown bearers in heaven who were not cross bearers on the earth. Think about that. Think about what he is saying. Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross. These are the requirements to follow him. And when you're following Jesus, understand this, that you are also at the same time walking in the perfect will of God. They're the same. When Jesus said, follow me, what he's saying is walk in the will of the Father. Jesus walked the path of the will of the Father perfectly. And so when he says, follow me, he's asking you to do the same. It will require denying self and taking up your cross. This is where the Apostle Paul has been living, folks. He's been living on the path that Jesus has set before him. And he's following Christ. He's denying himself. He's taking up his cross. And he has now set his face towards Jerusalem. 
Now, it's interesting the way the call that he got to go to Jerusalem, we find it in Acts chapter 19, and it starts with a desire. But I want you to see how it unfolds through the book of Acts to come up to where we are today. Acts chapter 19, verse 21, the first time we hear about Jerusalem from the Apostle Paul. He's in Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey. He's been there for a couple years. He's discipling uh, people there in Ephesus, but he's getting ready to leave. And he says, Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. It starts with a desire in the heart of Paul. Where did he get the desire? Was this his desire? Or was this a desire that was input in his heart? In other words, was God preparing him for his road to Jerusalem by inputting a desire for him to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome? Because, you know, that's exactly what happens. Perhaps not in the way that he thought it was going to initially. Uh, I'm reminded in this moment about the scripture that we find in Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What this doesn't mean is God will give you everything you want. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that this isn't mean that God will give you all your own desires? I'll tell you, most of your desires will lead you completely astray. But what this actually means is that God will put desires in your heart that are his will for you. And you'll have those desires. If you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will input his desire in you. And guess where you'll find yourself? Right down the middle of the will of God in your life. Right down the path of the, of the will of God in your life. If you will delight yourself in the Lord. Paul has been delighting himself in the, in the Lord. And the Lord has given him a desire to go to Jerusalem. Now, what we know is when Paul leaves Ephesus and he travels north through Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, up through Troas, he goes over the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, down to Greece, which is Achaia, turns around and comes back all the way back up to Troas. The entire time he's doing this whole route, he has been given some revelation relating to what awaits him in Jerusalem. And the very first time we hear about this revelation is Acts chapter 20. So Acts 19, 21, the desire is input in his heart. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and, um, and afflictions await me. Paul is gaining revelation as he's walking in the will of the Lord. Uh, God is preparing him for Jerusalem. I want you to see this because it's so important for us relating to what lies ahead for us. God doesn't just put you in the middle of a trial. He prepares you for it before you get there. And if you'll be aware of these things, you'll see his hand at work. You'll see him working and preparing you uh, and strengthening you for the things that lie ahead for you. Paul was... Being, giving revelation to what was happening, the Lord was preparing him for what, what awaited him. And, and so what was his response to that when he heard that there was afflictions and imprisonment awaiting him in Jerusalem? He goes on to say in verse Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was ready. 
He was ready for whatever it is that lied ahead uh, for him in Jerusalem. How did he get ready? I'm going to submit to you that readiness and being prepared for what lies ahead all lies within a, 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 a really a submission and an intimate relationship with Jesus. It all comes back to a very simple thing, you pressing into him. You press into the Lord. And in that relationship with God, as you are pursuing him and you're learning from him and you're hearing his voice and he is showing you that you can trust him, he's preparing you for what lies ahead. Listen, you will never be prepared for the things that lie ahead if you're not pressing into Jesus. In other words, you can't maintain an arm's length distance relationship with God and expect to do well in your trials. You won't. You'll fail. You'll, you'll doubt. You'll become fearful. But if you press in, you will have a tendency to trust the Lord because it's in that intimacy with the Lord that we have peace. We have comfort. We have joy beyond our circumstances, folks. These are all a result of relationship with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is walking strong with the Lord, and that's why he's ready for what lies ahead for him. My question for you this morning is, how ready are you? How ready are you for what 2024 has for you? None of us have any idea what lies ahead. We've been hearing a lot of things, haven't we? about what perhaps lies ahead for us. Here's what I will tell you. So what? Press into Jesus. It does not matter what happens because God will see you through it. You can have confidence in that today. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about all the things that could or should or would happen. What you need to do is press into the Lord and he will prepare you for those things. I'm, I'm telling you that the way to be ready is to press in. Your relationship with Jesus should be deeper than it's ever been. Coming into 2024, your heart's desire should, should be the same as what we find in our text. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. I want to show you four things from the life of the Apostle Paul, telltale signs about what, it, what readiness looks like. Uh, you know, how we can know that we're ready. These are things that you can measure your own life against. The first thing that we see here relating to the readiness of the Apostle Paul is that he was willing to depart. He was willing to depart. Look at verse 1. And when, he, and when uh, we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos. And the next day to Rhodes and there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When he had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed to uh, Syria and landed at Tyre for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Paul was ready for all things because he was willing to depart. He, that shows his readiness. He was willing to part from who? From them. Who's the them? If you recall where we left off in the events of the Apostle Paul, he was on the island of Miletus, and he had called the elders of Ephesus over to Miletus as he's preparing to go to Jerusalem. And there they had the first pastor's conference to ever uh, exist in all of Asia. Very first pastor's conference there. And Paul was encouraging uh, the, the elders of Ephesus. He was also warning them 
about things to come, wasn't he? He was telling them, listen, there are wolves that are going to come into the church from the outside, Judaizers and such, that are going to try and lay on you the law. And all of these kinds of things are going to try and sway you away from Christ. Don't you believe them? He also said, you have to beware because there's going to be wolves that will rise up from among you. False teachers that will say all kinds of wrong things. So stay the course. Know the word of God. And stay true to it. But Paul, in the midst of these things, also tells them that he's, he's going to Jerusalem and that, and that afflictions and imprisonment awaits him. And man, they're so broken for Paul. And in fact, they are, they're weeping. They're embracing Paul. They're kissing Paul, knowing that they probably will never see him again. I'm convinced that they believe he's going to die when he goes to Jerusalem. And I'm convinced Paul probably thinks that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. And yet he's willing to depart any, anyway. There are two things I want to show you relating to that. Number one, there was great affections for the Apostle Paul and these elders at Ephesus. He had spent a lot of time with them, discipling them and such. They loved him and he loved them. But we don't let affections get in the way of our, the call that God has on our life. Number two, there was great uncertainty relating to the Apostle Paul and where he was headed when he went to Jerusalem. He, was, he didn't know what lied ahead, and yet he did not allow fear to stop him from going to Jerusalem anyway. And I will tell you, I'm convinced, man, that those two elements are the two main elements of why, why Christians don't step into their ministries. Because they have affections for those who love them and they, they love others, and so those, those affections are stopping them from truly pressing into the Lord, time requirements, whatever it might be. Yeah, I just, I don't know if I can go into the mission field because then I'd have to, you know, leave my parents and all that kind of stuff. And if you're a parent, listen up. Hey, you better be praying about what God's will is for your life and rather than restraining your kids from walking in the will of the Lord. And I say that to myself as a parent of four children. It's about his will. It's not about their safety. Uh, our, our son serves in the United States Army, and you know what? When he made that decision, we said, hey, if you feel that's the Lord's call on your life, then go do it. That's what God's calling you to do. I'm not going to stand in the way. You cannot allow affections to get in the way of the will of God in your life. You also cannot allow the fear of, what, of the uncertainties of things that lie ahead to stop you from doing what you're doing. Fear is a snare, folks. It'll stop you dead in your tracks. I'm in a place in my life right now where I'm trying to overcome any kind of fears that I'm aware of, like, like just personal fears, you know, these things that really you might not think translate into your spiritual life, but they do. I'll give you one. Uh, every time I go to Montana, out in the woods, there's different fears that I have relating to this. So this last time I was in Montana and I was, uh, I was hunting by myself, and uh, I don't know if you know much about the mountains in Montana, but, dude, there's grizzly bears there and wolves and mountain lions and all kinds of stuff. So one of the things that I was a little nervous about was walking in the dark up, up into the mountains by myself, not because I was afraid of the dark, but because I was afraid of the predators. So I decided, hey, man, I'm going to do it. You will never get over your fears until you face your fears. And so I said, dude, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get my stuff on. I put my headlamp on, and I started walking up the mountain. And I, <laughs> and I was like, ah, no. But you know what? It was not like that at all. And in fact, 
what was crazy is I had a perfect peace. Like, it wasn't anything like I thought it would be. Like, when I started up the mountain, I was like, all right, this is cool. I mean, I had my head on a swivel. Don't worry. I was paying attention, but I was not afraid. Now, had I not done that, that fear would have uh, just loomed in my heart. What I'm saying to you is that if you will not face your fear, you will not grow your faith. If you will not face your fear, you're not going to grow your faith. You have to put yourself in places where you overcome those fears in your life because they're hindering you from the things that the Lord has for you. How is that hindering me? Walking up into the mountains in the dark, uh, you know, and such? I don't know, but I know it is. There's a connection to that somewhere. Fear is a snare. It will stop you dead in your tracks. You ask yourself, is there anything that's stopping me from stepping into the will of God in my life right now? Like, what is that thing? And then you face it. Then you, you, you just face it. Is it rejection? Is it, a, you know, a, a fear of losing relationships? Whatever it is, listen, you got to face it. Or you'll never do the things that God has for you in 2024. You'll never step into those things if you're unwilling to. Paul was willing to get over his affections for other people because his, your affections for Christ should be more than anything, number one. And he was willing to get over his own fears. Even, you know, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't looking forward to dying, but he was willing to do it. Because you know what? He knew the end result. Death is really simply the, the, the vehicle to life. Death is simply the delivery system that God will use for us to uh, finally be in that place of perfection in the presence of the Lord. And so for Christians, like the Bible says, there is no sting. Where, oh, death, where is your sting? It's not there. God will take you right through the grave. You don't even get to stop. Jesus sat there for three days. You don't even get to stop, folks. You get to go right through. And you can applaud for that because that is awesome. Praise the Lord. I want you to understand something about the Christian life, that you are somewhat invincible in Christ. Do you know that? You're somewhat invincible in Christ. It was George Whitfield who said, we are immortal until, the work on, until our work on earth is done. And I, I like that idea of, of us understanding that until the Lord calls us home, we're not going home. You're not going home until, now don't go step out in front of a bus, right? That is to test God. But when you're walking in the will of the Lord, you're not going home till he calls you home. You're not, you're not going to do anything outside of these parameters that God is. God is the one that holds your life in your hand. I think sometimes we think we hold our life in our hand. We do not. I don't care what diet you have. I don't care what exercise program you're on. I don't care what preservation things that you're doing. We should all do those things because this is the temple of the God and all that kind of stuff. But you're not preserving your life. You're not adding a day to it. God's got your life in his hand. He's numbered your days. He knows the number of hairs on your head or lack of hairs on your head. Here's what I'm saying to you is that you have nothing to fear. Because your life, the very, the most precious thing that you possess in, in all of this world is your life. And he's got your life in his hand. He's in control. You don't have anything to worry about. So step into his call. Are you willing to depart like the Apostle Paul? Are you willing to part ways with those people that you love in order to fulfill the will of the Lord in your life? 
Are you willing to overcome the fear of the uncertainty that lies ahead to fulfill the word of the Lord? Jesus was willing to do that. Jesus overcame both of those things. It was interesting that in the ministry of Jesus, that it was all about timing. And when the appointed time had come, the Bible tells us that the Messiah would set his face like flint. Literally, the idea is he would be so determined to fulfill the will of the Lord that he would not waver. That prophecy was given about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. It says, Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. This is speaking about Messiah coming. Jesus Christ is so interesting that, that it's pinned for us in the gospel of Luke where he fulfilled this. And in fact, it was Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus was unwavering relating to the will of the Father in his life. God, your will be done in my life. I mean, he, he wasn't looking, I don't know how forward he was looking to the cross because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, is there any other way? He was fully human. At the same time, fully God. I don't know how that works. But that's the reality. And Jesus asked the Father if there was any other way, but again, his heart was, your will be done, Lord. And you know, he was arrested that night, but he was not put to shame. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and then he was exalted. And we're to live the same kind of life as Jesus. The apostle Paul is following Jesus. He's willing to, he has set his face towards Jerusalem. If the Lord has given you a word in your life, have you been faithful to it? Have you been faithful to the things that he's calling you to? He's not going to give you more until you're faithful with what he's already given you. So keep that in mind. Set your face towards those things and be steadfast in what he's calling you to be willing to depart. It tells us here that uh, when Paul parted ways from the elders at Miletus, he sailed down the coast of Asia, which is, again, modern-day Turkey. As you can see on this map, he went to Kos, then he went to Rhodes, then he went to Patera, then he crossed the Mediterranean Sea, skirting Cyprus, and finally arrived at Tyre. And there, this is Paul demonstrating his readiness to be willing to dip, by being willing to, be, to depart. Secondly, we find him demonstrating his willingness or his readiness by a resolve to stay the course, verse four. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. This is entire. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days uh, there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, they, uh, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. I love that when Paul landed in Tyre, the first thing that he does is seeks out fellowship with believers. The first place he goes is like, man, where's the church? Where can I get connected with the people of God? Paul loved the church. He loved the people. He loved to connect with people. Do you know that you have family everywhere? 
all across the entire world, you have family everywhere because if you're in the body of Christ, you're in the family of Christ. And it's so interesting how uh, when you meet believers in other places, you know, uh, just random strangers that you happen to find out that they're believers, how there's that connection. You know what I'm talking about? I was in Geneva for a trade show one time, and uh, we were in the USA Pavilion there. Uh, We were chanting, USA, not really, because... Uh, Europeans already think we're arrogant enough, so I, we decided not to do that. But uh, anyway, I was talking to the guy next to me who was from California, go figure, and we were talking uh, uh, just about life. And I was like, man, I just feel so connected to this guy. I feel like I've known this guy my entire life, <laughs> you know, like I grew up with this, like this is an old friend. I've never seen this guy before. And after about an hour conversation, we're talking and It happens, you know, somehow the conversation comes up about the Lord. And we both find out, hey, I'm a believer, you're a believer. No wonder we felt connected. There's a kindred spirit with with those who are in the body of Christ. Like, there's a connection with us. We're in the same family. You have the same father. You have the spirit within you. And so there's that, that instant connection. Paul was seeking that out. And I hope you seek that out when you... Go to other areas, you know, when you're on vacation and stuff. Man, go to other churches and connect with the body of Christ. Man, you meet some incredible people, some incredible people in the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, you can make some great friends. But Paul, he, he had a little extra time, so he seeks out the people there in Tyre. And when he does, you know, the, his newfound family members perceive through the Spirit of God about the dangers that await Paul in Jerusalem, and so they tell him not to go. Now, this is where it gets interesting. What do you mean they told him not to go? It says that through the Spirit, they told him not to go. Many people, many scholars believe that, um, that Paul is in disobedience right here because it says through the Spirit, they told him not to go to Jerusalem. So the idea is that it was the Spirit telling Paul not to go. Is that the way that it's, that it's written or is that the way that it seems? I don't think so. I think the idea is that they were given revelation about the Apostle Paul through the Spirit of God. Hey, afflictions and imprisonment await the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem. That, that's already confirmed throughout the Scriptures. Nowhere else do we ever hear about Paul, um, about a warning for Paul not to go through the Spirit. It's only this place. And here's what I'll tell you. It is entirely possible for you to hear partly the truth uh, uh, through the Spirit of God and then to take that beyond in your flesh and continue on with what you call a revelation. What do I mean? You might remember about four years ago when the elections happened. And there were some Christian leaders who were prophesying relating to the presidency. You guys remember that? I, how could you forget? You know what I mean? But, but remember this. There were all kinds of people prophesying that Donald Trump would return to the presidency in 2021. Specifically, there was a, a self-proclaimed prophet named Johnny Enlow, and a leader of Restore 7 Ministry, and, and Greg Locke, a senior pastor of Global Vision Bible Church, both located in Tennessee. Uh, but... Uh, They both made this proclamation. They said, thus says the Lord. The Lord told me that Donald Trump will return to his presidency in 2021. Did he return to his presidency? 
I think the answer is no. You can go ahead and say that if you want. He did not. Now, I don't say this to say these guys aren't believers. I'm not saying this to say that, uh, you know, they didn't partially hear the Spirit correctly. What I'm saying is what they said was wrong. Right? And so when it comes to prophecy, we don't just purely take what someone says, as thus says the Lord, as if it is a word from God. We're called to weigh the word. We're called to weigh the words. And in fact, Paul tells us this. He tells us how to deal uh, with prophecy in the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You can read, really, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all the way through the end of chapter 14. It speaks about the gifts of the Spirit and such. But one of those gifts is prophecy. Prophecy can be, uh, uh, you know, it can be demonstrated in two ways. Right now, I'm speaking prophetically, meaning I'm speaking forth the Word of God. The Lord's revealed Word, I'm speaking forth. That is a type of prophecy. The other type of prophecy is a foretelling of an event that the Lord is revealing, like is what is happening here. Paul going to Jerusalem, and, and it's foretelling what he can expect when he gets there. Uh, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 through 32, let two or three people, prophets, speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. What he's saying is that there is a way to do this and there's an organization to it and I'm not going to get into all of that right now because we need to start at a different place. I'm just giving you a reference of the idea that we do have to weigh the words that are spoken. The, you know, you have the same Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is speaking forth a prophetic word that is a foretelling of something that's going to happen, he will confirm that through the Holy Spirit in the, in, in, in the hearts of other people. He will do that, especially in a congregational setting. If, that is not to be, if that's not confirmed, then they should not do it. In other words, the, we need to weigh what is being said whether it's the speaking of God's word, the, the foretelling, uh, the foretelling of God's word, or the foretelling, both. Both need to be weighed. What does the Bible say about what he's saying? We should be weighing the word. What is the Spirit telling me about the foretelling of these things? We should be weighing the word. And uh, so, you know, we need to be careful about prophecy. I believe what's happening in our text here is that they did receive revelation from the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit told them, hey, Paul is going to face some things. And I think that then they stepped into the flesh and said, hey, don't go. Of course, nobody wants danger or hardship for anyone. We, we, we are people who are empathetic. We, we are, we, we're merciful. We're gracious, some of us. We don't want hardship for people. And yet sometimes the Lord leads us down a path of hardship for his purposes because that's where refinement happens. That's where growth happens. That's where our faith is growing and such. That's where the stretching is. The Lord didn't come and rescue Daniel out of the lion den. He just met him in there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fire, Jesus went in the fire with them. He didn't take them out of it. That's the way the Lord works. He works in those difficult situations. And when you're in the will of the Lord in a difficult situation, you'll know it's the will of the Lord because you'll have a perfect peace. You'll have a joy. You'll have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
And that's how you can know. But we need to weigh what's being said. Here, I believe these guys stepped out in, in the flesh. And they're now empathetic to Paul's uh, hardship that he's going to be facing. And they're telling him, hey, don't go now. I think that's the way that that reads. Um, Paul goes, it goes on here to tell us that, you know, he, he clearly was not receiving that part about not going because they find themselves on a beach and he's going to jump on a ship. So he clearly does not believe that's what the Lord is calling him to do. He's pressing on. He's moving forward. He, is, he has a resolve to stay the course at all cost, regardless of what it looks like. And the believers there then, they come out to the beach, which is really cool. The whole family, all the family comes out. The, the wives and the children come with them. They all are on the beach and they just pray for each other. I think that is so cool. Like thinking about, you know, what lies ahead for the Apostle Paul? What were they praying? I hope they were praying, Lord, your will be done. God, you know, what, you know what's going to happen in the Apostle's life here. You know what you're calling him to. And so your will be done in my life. That's what we should always be praying for, regardless of what it is. You know, hey, uh, we should pray for healing. We certainly should pray for healing. We should believe for healing. But we should also submit to the will of God relating to healing at the same time. It doesn't matter what the thing is that we're praying for, provisions or, you know, restoration or whatever it is. We should say, hey, but Lord, your will be done. I don't know about you, but I don't pretend to know the will of God in every situation. There's certain times where I don't even know what the will of God is and for my own life. How in the world can I tell you what the world will of God is in for your life? Not to say that the Lord can't give us words. But man, be careful about the counsel that you give people. Be careful. Make sure you weigh your own words before you speak them. What does God's word say? And make sure you stick to the script. And listen, the right answer, if you don't know, is I don't know. That's the right answer. And I'm, I'm quick to say that if I don't know, I don't know. And you know what? I'll, I'll just keep praying for you. But the Lord's will be done in your life. That's how we should approach these things. Um, last time I checked, I don't answer to you and you don't answer to me. We answer to him. And he has a perfect will in his life. And that's what I want to surrender to. So... That's to say that if you give counsel to somebody that, you know, I think you should speak forth if you believe it's the Lord. These guys spoke forth what they believed. But, but what can happen in that is when people don't receive your counsel and they do exactly what you, what you don't believe they should do, then all of a sudden there's a break in relationship. That's not what happened here. That's not what should happen in your life either. Don't take that personally. I mean, dude, seriously, how are you to know exactly what God's calling someone else to do? You can have your, your conviction and you can speak your conviction, but you know what? Leave it there. Don't break fellowship with somebody because they, they, uh, they move forward in a direction they thought they should go. Now, if sin's involved, that's a whole different story, isn't it? But I'm just saying in general, like in this case, Paul's moving forward. It does not seem that they broke fellowship with him because he did not receive their counsel. He moved forward. He said, listen, we're getting on the boat. He, was, he had a resolve to stay the course, uh, regardless of what that meant. Thirdly, we see that he's fully surrendered to the will of God, verse 7. Uh, when he finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. 
and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Uh, Paul, again, once he leaves Tyre, comes to Ptolemaeus, again, showing the love that he has for the body of Christ. He greets the brothers, stays with them for a day, and then he departs to Caesarea, and he's going to stay at the house of Philip, the evangelist, which is interesting. You guys remember Philip. He was introduced to us back in Acts chapter 6 when there was an issue with the widows, the, 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 the widows in, the, um, in the camp and such, and, and, and the, disciples, the apostles were like, man, we're so busy with the word and prayer and such. We need to raise up seven men who can handle the distribution of the food to the widows and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of those men was Philip. They were looking for a specific criteria. He met the criteria, and he was called into a leadership role in the church there. Um, also, one of the other guys that was called in that time was a man named Stephen. They served together, Stephen and Philip. I find it interesting that the man, uh, by the command of the man who uh, gave, gave the command for Stephen to be stoned to death, is the very man that's staying at Philip's house now. Isn't that interesting? What happened in that moment was Paul, who was Saul at the time, was persecuting the church, pushed the believers out of Jerusalem. Killed Stephen. Philip leaves Jerusalem. Philip goes to Samaria. God uses him. He has the gift of evangelism. That's different than the general call for us to make disciples. He has a special anointing where he can step into a crowd and speak the word of God and people just come to Christ. It's a gift. It's one of the offices of the church. Philip uh, you know, experiences this incredible awakening in Samaria where God is, people are coming to Christ by the groves. Peter comes up from Jerusalem. They're discipling these people. The, the, this movement of the Holy Spirit is happening in Samaria. And then the Lord knocks on the heart of Philip and he says, hey, I want you to go out in the desert of Gaza and I want you to go meet this one man. You think he was kind of like, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an evangelist. You know, I don't know if one man is enough for me, Lord. I, I would think that you would have a crowd of people for me. I have the gift of evangelism. I don't think that's at all what he thought. And we know that because actions speak louder than words. So he departs Samaria, this place of prosperity and where ministry is happening. Incredible things are happening there. And the Lord says, go out to the desert and minister to this one man. And he does it. The guy, Ethiopian eunuch, ends up getting saved. You know the story. And it was there at that place in the middle of the desert where there was some water. And this is one of the most fascinating parts of the New Testament to me. And it's a picture for you and I, I believe, of the rapture. Here, Philip says, hey, man, you just got saved. Why don't you get baptized? Says, All right, well, let's do it. There's some water right there. And it tells us that when Philip baptized this man, when they went down into the water and he came back up, Philip was just snatched out of the water, completely gone. Listen to what it says here in Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through and preached 
And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What an amazing moment that was, man. That's going to happen to you and I one day, perhaps. If the Lord doesn't tarry, if he comes sooner, uh, if he comes soon, then guess what? We'll be snatched away. We'll be taken out. It's a picture of the rapture. He was literally instantaneously come out of the water. He was instantaneously transported from wherever they were in Gaza all the way 20-some miles up the coast to a little city called Azotus. He just found himself there. Could you imagine if all of a sudden I was just like, and by the way, and I'm in the middle of Nashville. That would be crazy. That's, it's not a story. It's an event. This happened. And it's a picture of what's going to happen to the church, the bride of Christ one day, when the Lord snatches us away from this world. I love this picture. If you can't tell, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. But Philip then makes his way up the coastline, preaching the gospel, and he settles himself in Caesarea, and that's where he's been since then. He's been in Caesarea. He's been, you know, evangelizing. He's been speaking the word. He's been teaching. He's been, he got, apparently had some kids. He's got four uh, unmarried daughters who he's raised up in the Lord. They're prophetesses. They're prophetesses. And they're prophesying, you know, whether it's the speaking forth or the foretelling, one or the other, or both. We don't know. But what's interesting is that they don't say anything to the Apostle Paul about what, 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 he's, what he's about to face in Jerusalem, which I find is interesting. However, God does send another prophet to this place, which you'll be familiar with in a second, Acts, chapter 10, or Acts 21.10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the Lord, will of the Lord be done. Agabus is a, a, a person that we were introduced to in Acts chapter 11. And he had given a prophetic word in that moment. He's from Jerusalem, it tells us in that particular passage. And here's what it says that he said. Acts 11, 27 and 28. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. It's interesting that Luke would say, and by the way, he's a real prophet. By the way, what he said came to pass. That's how you know somebody is truly speaking God's word or God's prophetic word is because what they say comes to pass. And here Agabus He's a proven prophet. He shows up now in Caesarea, and he is going to give a prophetic word in Old Testament-style prophecy. What does that mean? In Old Testament prophets, oftentimes they would act out their prophecies. Ezekiel does this. We see this in various different ways throughout the Old Testament. Agabus is going to act out what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And so it says he got his belt. Don't, I don't know how he got it. I don't, did he just grab it off of him? Did he ask for it? I don't know. But he's got Paul's belt. 
and then he binds his hands and his feet. I don't know how, did he do that himself? I don't know. But here's what I know is the words that he spoke were from the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He is speaking prophetic and he's a known prophet in the land. And we see the same kind of response. Of course, people, the revelation of the Holy Spirit talking about the hardship that Paul is going to endure. And so the response is much the same. And now, not only are the people present in Caesarea, the believers there, now saying, man, Paul, I don't know if you should go. Now also Paul's traveling companions, meaning Luke and Silas and all the rest who were with him coming to Jerusalem, they're also now saying this. It says, when we heard this. This is speaking of Luke. Luke writing, when we we, the traveling companions, and we and the people there, the believers there in Caesarea, we urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And what is interesting is it tells us here that Paul was not going to be swayed by the words of man. He wasn't going to allow uh, the, the affections of man and the fear of the uncertainty of what lied ahead to stop him from doing what he fully believed God was calling him to do. And so he responds to them in this way. He said, dude, what are you guys doing? Why are you responding in this way with this weeping and breaking my heart? Don't you understand that I'm surrendered to the will of God for my life? And I'm firmly believe this is the will of the Lord. And, that, and I'm going to Jerusalem regardless if anybody else is coming with me. That's how firm he was. Because Luke goes on to say, and when we realized we could not persuade him, because he was so convinced that this is what God was calling him to, that they said these words, let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord be done. And again, that should be our heart towards people too. Let the will of the Lord be done. Paul, then he goes on here. This brings us to our fourth point relating to the readiness of the Apostle Paul. We know he was ready because he possessed a peace that surpassed all understanding. Look at verse 15. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nasum of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. It was after these days. After what days are those? After the days of Paul and and. Silas and, and Luke and all of the believers there in Caesarea, uh, you know, contemplating what the Holy Spirit was saying. It was after those days. Man, those were emotional days for the Apostle Paul, tempting days for the Apostle Paul. As people were telling him, like, don't do it. Don't go. We don't want to see you hurt. We don't want to see you depart, and yet he was willing to not only be in prison, but give up his own life. And it tells us here that he got ready. What does that mean? He got ready. Does that mean he put his clothes on, he brushed his teeth, and he was ready to go to Jerusalem? I don't think that's what it means. He got ready. How do you get ready for, for, for this revelation that's been spoken of? relating afflictions and imprisonments. How do you get ready for something like this? I'll tell you how you get ready. You press into Jesus. 
You press into the Lord. That's how you get ready for the imprisonment and the afflictions, for the things that lie ahead, the uncertainties and all of these kinds of things, is you press into the Lord. If you want to be ready for the will of God in your life, then you have to press into Jesus. This isn't speaking about Paul physically getting ready. He was spiritually preparing himself for Jerusalem. Just as Jesus had prepared himself and he set his face like flint, determined, unwavering towards Jerusalem. The apostle Paul has got himself ready. He has set his face towards Jerusalem and he's unwilling to relent. I'm going to Jerusalem regardless of what that means. I'm convinced that in this moment that Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, has a unique experience with the Holy Spirit. And he, he writes about it two years, or, or you know, some years later, it will be while he's in prison in Rome. He writes his prison epistles. One of those prison epistles is to the church at Philippi. And here we find in the church of Philippi, or this, this, this proclamation that Paul makes to these believers there about difficult situations, about uncertainties that lie ahead, about peace in the midst of all kinds of chaos. And I'm convinced the Apostle Paul experienced it first and then he pinned it. It's, it's a, a Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. If you don't know these verses, you should write them down and you should memorize them. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. He's not saying rejoice if your circumstances call for rejoicing. He's saying rejoice always, regardless of your circumstances. You can only do that if you're ready for what lies ahead. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul kept the idea of the coming of Christ in his vision at all times. He was ready to accomplish the will of the Lord. He was ready to go home. He was ready to stay here, whatever God wanted for him. But he kept the coming of the Lord at hand in his mind, the urgency, the imminent return of Christ. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. This is pressing in in the midst of your circumstances. This is saying, Lord, I, got, I need you in, these, in this situation. Guide me, keep me, help me, protect me. Do these things in my life. And it says here in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is a perfect peace in the midst of total chaos. You can be in the midst of your deepest, darkest trial and be at perfect peace. A peace that what? Surpasses all understanding. It does not make sense is what he's saying. Like a peace that does not make sense because your circumstances would say otherwise. And Paul is in this place. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Even in the midst of the fear of the uncertainty that lies ahead. Lord, I trust you. And he has a peace that surpasses all understanding. Listen, I'm convinced that for you and I, in these last days, 
that if we are going to be the church that God is calling us to be, like at large in the world, in our, particularly in our country alone, like if we're going to be who we're called to be, then we're going to need to press in deep. Like I don't know what lies ahead, but I've heard some things. I don't know if you've heard some things. But guess what? I do not care. I am not afraid. It, regardless of what happens, here's what I know. As I press into God and he will see me through. If God can feed Elijah with ravens in the, in the wilderness, if God can protect Daniel in the midst of the lion den, if God can preserve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the fire, if God can preserve a people on an ark in the midst of a flood, what can he do in your life? Listen, if you think your life is in your hand, you're fooled. It is not. It's in his hand. We don't trust in ourselves and our own capabilities. We trust in Jesus. We trust in the Lord. That means in order to get ready, I got to press in. And he will stretch me and he will give me faith like I've never seen before. But I will not be ready if I don't do that. I don't know what lies ahead. And frankly, I don't care. I just want to press into Jesus. And I want to be all that he's calling me to be in 2024. If you have not made your declaration for the Lord and saying, your will be done. Today needs to be the day. This is the last day of 2023. Don't step into 2024 thinking, like, I'll just do it my way, Lord. I'm going to do it my way in 2024, and we'll see how it works out. How's it been working out for you? How does that ever work out for you? It never works out for me. I might be an anomaly, but I don't think so. Here's what I'm saying is there's a new year coming, and God has great opportunities for you, and he wants to use you mightily. But guess what? You got to press in because you'll never be ready if you don't. So press into Jesus and make this your declaration. Your will be done. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time together with your word. And Lord, we ask you in these final moments as we gather here today on this last day of the year, Lord, that we would put our flag in the sand. And Father, that we would, we would turn our hearts fully and totally to you that we would have a surrender and a total abandonment of self, being willing to take up our cross to follow you, whatever that means. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today that I think for some of us, we need you to restore the joy of our salvation. For some of us, Lord, it's been a tough year and we've gone through a lot. And even in the midst of our pain and suffering and difficulty and all of that, like if we'll just take a moment to look, we'll see your mighty hand that's been at work and you've been refining and you've been drawing and you've been revealing and all of these kinds of things in our hearts. That we could truly actually be thankful for what you've done in our lives this year, regardless of what it is. God, there's no place I would rather be than in the middle of your will as the song we sang earlier said. So Father, today, help us to make a declaration, just a commitment to you, full surrender, pressing into Jesus. Lord, may our most intimate, deepest relationship with you not be in our past, but may it be in our present and future. God, may we continue to grow closer to you as we press in. We know the problem isn't you. Help us, God, 
to make you a priority in our lives. Not an arm's length distance relationship, but a full intimate relationship with you. God, we want to restore restore that relationship today if if it's broken in any way. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they could come to know you this morning by just laying down their life at your feet and saying, here I am, Lord. Take me. In that surrender, we know that it's a turning away from our old life. A life that's got us nowhere but in trouble. And we're turning to you for forgiveness. And Lord, all, all anyone who wants to come to Christ today, all they have to do is just say, Lord, I, I turn away from my old life. And I need to be forgiven. And I receive that forgiveness through Jesus, your son who died for me and rose again from the dead for me. And so take this life and use it however you want. Your will be done. And we know a simple prayer of sincerity like that, Lord, just turning away and turning to you, confessing Jesus as Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the the dead. We will, will be cleansed and forgiven and we will be saved. For the rest of us in the room, Lord, have your way. Your will be done, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us? Hey, as we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to come forward and just lay your life at the altar and surrender to the Lord. Put the flag in the sand. Lord, your will be done. You come forward and just pray to the Lord. There'll be some people up here to pray with you. If you want to come to Christ, come forward, and one of these guys will lead you in a prayer where you can receive the forgiveness of your sins and uh, receive the gift of eternal life forever and ever. And so just in these last few moments, just respond to the Holy Spirit. This is the last day of the last year of 2023. And so let's make it worthy. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.